We're in Acts chapter 25. Let me read from verse 1 to um, verse 22. Hear the holy word of our holy God. Festus then, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he spent more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. On the, other, on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem <clears throat> stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of Jews or against the temple or against Caesar, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, and you also know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then when Festus had confirmed with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man who was left by, as a prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over a man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defenses against the charges. So after they assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you alone are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The gods of the, the nations are nothing. You alone are the true and the living God. And you are our God, Lord. You are the potter. We are pieces of clay. We are pots in your hands. And when we think rightly... Um, we would have it no other way. You, Jesus Christ, are the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and we are the sheep of your pasture. 
And we are so thankful, Lord Jesus, that by your blood you take away the sins of the world, even a world of our sins. We thank you for that. You are the great gate. Through you, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, we will, on the last day, or the day of our death, enter into the heavenly sheep gate. Uh, Grant me uh, clarity this morning, Holy Spirit, and give us all the requisite measure of faith to hear your word and to receive it and to be changed by it. Into the image of the beloved we pray. Amen. Well, if you were at the Sunday school, you know that I, I have a lot. <laughs> I prepared a lot for my Sunday school. It wasn't what I prepared. And I prepared a ton for this sermon. But I'm really, um, I have, sometimes I have dreams about the sermon that I'm going to preach. And it usually bodes for certain things. <laughs> I was dreaming about this sermon. And uh, I'm going to do something. And it may not work, but I, I want to do it. So in this particular, it fits with what we're looking at. Um, The the reason I'm going to say this is I don't want to be redundant. We have been in a stretch towards the very end of the book of Acts. What we're looking at is the Apostle Paul on trial before various men. And there are five stated trials that the Apostle Paul will um, uh, undergo. Uh, One which is an informal trial before the Jews. I think chapter 21, something like that. And then he has a more formal trial before the Sanhedrin, still Jews. And the Jews will condemn him to die, which is what they did. His life is tracking with Christ's. He's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The Jews tried Christ, and they found him wanting. He was tried religiously. They condemned him to die. That's what they do to the servant, the Apostle Paul. His fellow Jews find him religiously wanting, lacking. They condemn him to die. And then the Apostle Paul will have three stated trials before the Gentiles. Stated trials. He's going to go from Felix, which was what we looked at last week. He's the governor of Judea, and he was at Caesarea. And that was chapter 24. And then now we're with the governor um, uh, Festus, which is Porcius. Festus, I think, is the fellow's full name. And then we're going to look at another trial before King Agrippa. This is Herod Agrippa II. He's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. We're going to look at him. So five trials. And then the sixth trial, which is alluded to in the book of Acts, chapter 28, is the Lord Jesus Christ says to Paul, you're going to uh, Rome, and you're going to bear my name before kings, even before Caesars. And the Caesar that Paul will bear the name of Christ, preach the gospel of Christ to, is um, uh, Nero. He's going to Nero. And so he'll have two trials with Jews, Two trials with uh, four trials, excuse me, with Gentiles, and then he will um, be beheaded uh, for his witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've said many times before that the Greek word to to witness is martyreo. We get the word to to be martyred. Jesus Christ in Re- Revelation chapter one is called the faithful mar martyr, the faithful witness. The Apostle Paul is going to seal his testimony that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to stand before the Jews and say it's the blood of the Lamb, foolishness. He's going to stand before the Gentiles and say it's the blood of the Lamb, foolishness. And both will condemn him to die. So the unregenerate church, the apostate church, the Jews, they condemn him to die. The apostate world, they will condemn him to die. This is the Apostle Paul walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says it's been granted to us to believe in Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, I think, 19 maybe, but also to suffer for his name's sake. So this is part of the solidarity or the, 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 um, the unity that we share uh, with, uh, with, with our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But particularly as we bear the name of, of Christian, this is Paul's suffering for being a, a, a Christian. So five trials. We're here at the beginning of the fourth with Festus. We start to look at King Agrippa and Bernice. And then next week, maybe we'll look at the fifth trial when he's on a trial before this uh, uh, Herod Agrippa II. Uh, we'll look at that. But what I want to do is this. As we walk through this passage, I want us to overlay three truths um, and these are the three truths, that everything that I'm going to say, and I, I won't do this repeatedly, but I want us to think of this as we walk through the passage. All through the passage, three truths, truths apply. Everything that's going to happen to the Apostle Paul as a gospel minister, it is the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the will of God. I remember when my, my father died when I was 34. We were in Tallahassee, and it was a Sunday morning. My mother had called me. And we were going to a markedly different church than this. We were quasi-Pentecostals at the time. And although we were closet Calvinists, don't tell anybody. And my daughter turned to me, and she was a little one. She said, Dad, it's God's will. It was God's will. When you look at the Apostle Paul going from his fellow Jews that he loved madly, they hated him. They didn't love him. It's the will of God that he suffers like this. He has his own people turn their back on him. It was the will of the Lord Jesus Christ that he suffer, just like Christ had his fellow Jews turn his back on them. It's, it's, it's a painful thing when you have people that you love, that they, they don't love you, and they don't love you for religious reasons. And the religious reason that I'm talking about is because you love Christ and they don't. And so it is the will of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul suffers like this. And then when we look at him going from Trial to trial. And these are not small trials. Um, on almost every venue, he's under the threat of death. The first two trials with the Jews, they try to actually beat him to death. And then when he's on trial before the Romans, this is just a sham. They're just looking for a way to kill him to do a favor to the Jews. So he's under the threat of death constantly. It's the will of the Lord Jesus Christ when we look at this. Beloved, he, he's, he, 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 Paul is on a real trial. Trial, trial. Judge, accusers, charges, defense, and then there'll be a sentence. If I could use that word trial and apply it metaphorically to our lives, there's not a Christian here that's not, not undergoing a trial. I understand not before a judge per se, but all of us go through trials. All of us are called by God to walk in some kind of crucible or some kind of wind or wave or to carry some kind of cross, to be abused by people we love, to be rejected by people we love, that we try to share the gospel with. And the first thing that we, I want us to see is as we look at this, this is not catching God by surprise. Um, as Reformed people, we're Reformed people. We talk a lot about the sovereignty of God, the lordship of God, that God runs the show, essentially. Everybody really believes that. And sometimes we use it and we're fighting over the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of soteriology, because we think it's a fun thing to, to fight about. My minister said about the death of his, his first wife, God is so sovereign, he can take your breath away. 
Beloved, that's a fact. That's a fact. That's the sovereignty of God. When Jesus Christ says to Paul, you are a chosen vessel of mine. That's this. You're chosen. And then we in the Reformed camp say what? Yes, yes. Can't you see that says electos in the Greek? I can say it in the Greek. Chosen, choice, vessel. Yeah, but what does Jesus go on to say in, in uh, Acts chapter 9? He's a chosen instrument of mine, and I will show him what? How much he must suffer for my name's sake. So chosen in Christ, chosen to be born again, chosen to be saved, saved. The will of the Lord Jesus Christ is to save his elect sheep, and he saves them. But it's also his will that his elect sheep, in this case, the Apostle Paul, who's a herald, he's an ambassador, that he suffer. And he shares in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ's will. Now, I'm not saying that always we understand the will of God when he calls us as his beloved children to suffer or to go through some kind of trial. Look at Paul. Paul's been in prison. Felix leaves him in prison for two years. This is like Joseph. He's done no wrong. He's actually doing right. He's in jail for doing right. Most of us pitch a fit. We're, we are so morally indignant if someone abuses our good name wrongly, we get so indignant. Imagine suffering for two years. You're thrown in the prison for proclaiming Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's done no wrong. He's suffering for doing good. This is the Apostle Peter. Peter says, we are going to suffer for doing good. You love your wife as Christ loves the church. You're going to suffer for doing good. Man, you need to get the second model. You need to get the third model. Why are you so faithful to her? Get with the program. Look around at our world. You obey the word of, the, of God, you're going to suffer for it. You believe that boys are boys and girls are girls and boys should marry girls and girls should marry boys and not the other way around, you're going to suffer for it. Am I not right with this? You're going to suffer for holding the truth. And it's the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that, I want us to think that as we look at these things, and, they, and as we look at Paul, he's going to go from one trial to the other trial. Most of us think like this. Lord, if you could send me a trial at a time, it could just be, if you could slow the pitch down, I could catch it. And then send me on vacation somewhere, I could rest somewhere. And then you could put me on another trial, and I could rest somewhere. But beloved, that's, we, we flipped the, 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 the scenario around. He's the Lord, we're the servants. And sometimes, is the will of our Lord Jesus Christ trial upon trial upon trial upon trial upon trial upon trial? And what happens? What happens? Paul prays. See, if we could do the one trial at a time, or the easy trial, or we get to pick the trials that we, we, we wanted, which we don't, we try to do it by our own strength. We try to go through it by our own strength. I got this. When they come according to the will of God, and they overwhelm us, it casts us upon Him. So the first thing I want us to do is, when we look at this, the Apostle Paul can take comfort that none of what's going on is outside the will of Jesus Christ for him. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say there's no condemnation for you in Christ. Everything that God brings into your life, he means for your spiritual good, even if you don't understand it, even if it's painful. That we can look at it and say, this is good. I don't know how. Or you can't even say that. Maybe you can't even, you can't even form the words. You just cry. 
That's a prayer. God the Holy Spirit can make sense out of even a groan, the Puritans would say. So it's helpful for us to be practical, reformed people, meaning to really believe everything is under the government of God. And the second thing that I want us to see is related to that. Paul is a particular kind of Christian. And I don't mean there are grades of Christians. I know there are Christians that say that. I find it obnoxious. I don't like when people de-Christianize other Christians, but we do because we think it's fun, although it's an obnoxious sin. Um, There are no grades of Christians. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Galatians chapter 3. You're beloved, forgiven all of, of all of your sins. You're just as we if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you're just as you're just as justified as the Apostle Paul was when he was walking on the earth. Justification is instantaneous, it's complete, it's forensic, it's legal, it's done. Just as justified. Sanctification is a different matter. But just as loved, just as adopted. But then not all of God's people have the same function in the body. And so what we've been looking at in the, the book of, uh, of uh, Acts is the work primarily of gospel heralds. We're, pri- we're looking at primarily the, the, the working out of Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the, good, the Great Commission. That's primarily what the book of Acts is all about. Jesus rises from the dead. He appears risen from the dead for 40 days alive to testify to those who love him, I am alive, I was dead, I am alive. And then he goes from dead, dead, resurrection, then he ascends up into heaven. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 ends really with Acts 8, 1 and 8. That's the counterpart. And then he ascends to sit at the right hand of glory. He's sitting at the right hand of glory. And then if I could quote the, our, our ecumenical creeds, and he's going to come back on the last day and do what? He's going to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no what? End. So we're looking at When Jesus says, you take all that I've taught you, go to the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've taught, baptizing them, and I'm with you to the end of the age. And what we see in the book of Acts is those gospel heralds, under the power of the Holy Spirit, take the holy gospel and they go everywhere with it. They go to the Jews first, and then from the Jew they go to the Samaritan, which is kind of like a, he's he's kind of a hybrid between a Jew and a, 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 a Gentile. And then they go from the Jews to the Samaritans, and then they go everywhere. They go everywhere gospeling. And so when we're looking at Christ's will for his servants is to go through a trial, not all of us are called to be a gospel minister. Not everyone is particularly called, like the Apostle Paul, to be an official herald of the gospel, to be an ambassador. However, what this passage also will teach us as we just look at it in the sufferings and the trials and the afflictions, this is normative stuff for the believer. It does, I, I was a truck driver for many years. I had a carpet cleaner for business for 10 years. I've done every crubbing job under the sun. Uh, it, it, uh, I was a believer at, what, 26? So... You could be hanging sheetrock, you can be driving a dump truck, you can be be a stay-at-home mom, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. It is normative in the Christian life to suffer, for Christ's sake. And when we see the Apostle Paul, he's going to go from trial to trial to trial to trial. This is regular. This is regular stuff. 
And the Bible will teach us that now we exist as Christians, all of us, and in a state of humiliation. And after this a state of humiliation comes the state of exaltation. And I know there are, there are always eschatological movements that come within the Christian church. They're way peppier. They're way happier. They say we're going to turn the world into half a heaven. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're not. You are not turning this world into half a heaven until Christ comes back. Jesus left us a pattern that we're going to walk in. This is the first Peter. And we're going to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is normative. This is regular stuff. And the other thing that I want us to see from Paul's repeated trials, they don't, well, they don't end until he dies. <laughs> the other thing I want us to see is the kind of people that Christ sends his gospel servant to. Think of the people that he's just talked to Jesus about. Jews that want to kill him, the religious leaders that want to kill him, so the rabble want to kill him, and then the hoi polloi, the, the gentry want to kill him, and then he goes to the Gentiles, and, and they want to do what? They want to kill him. And Jesus is the one sending this gospel minister to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to what kind of folk? Good people or bad people? Exceedingly bad people. Exceedingly bad people. This guy, Herod Agrippa too, is, um, how should I put this politely? Um, he is living with his sister as if she's his wife. That's this guy. That's who, um, that's who um, Jesus is going to send Paul and say, I want you to tell this guy, I want you to tell this woman that in Christ there's salvation. Remember he was with Felix last chapter? Felix with, was with Drusilla. Felix was Drusilla's third husband, and uh, it was actually Julia Drusilla is his third wife. And they each gave their second husband and wife the boot because the other one was more attractive sexually. There you go. And he sends his gospel servant to that kind of person. Beloved, some of this is so offensive, is it not? When we look at this, you think, you, you have fornicators and adulterers and liars and thieves and murderers judging the people of God, the Apostle Paul. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Look around, beloved. Look around. Do people that believe the Bible, Christ is the only way, the truth, do we run the show? Are we the power brokers in the world? No, we're not. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 through 31. We're not. The world and the powerful think that what we believe about Jesus is ridiculous. They try us. We don't try them. now. But I do want us to see this. If you were raised in a Christian home, I don't know how this works. Well, I mean, I suppose I do because I have some grown kids and grandkids. Sometimes as Christians who have been a Christian for a little bit, we forget that Jesus is in the saving sinners business. Like sinners, sinners. And then we only hang around with other Christians, and particularly, we love to subdivide. We only hang around, we, we hang around with the good, we don't hang around with the bad Christians, because then we subdivide and subdivide, and the good ones, the good ones. You've got to homeschool, you've got to do, we did all that. But we love to do that. We love to, and then we forget, and then we meet a person that's a sinner, sinner, and then we think, what? Oh, how gross. 
How gross. Beloved, that's not the heart of Jesus Christ. That's not the heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sends his gospel minister to tell gross sinners what? There's salvation in Jesus Christ. Why does Paul make an especially good gospel minister in this? To talk to bad people. What, what makes him so effective? Paul a good guy? No, he was a horrible, he was a scallywag. He held the coats of St. Stephen while they were stoning him to death. That's called murder, beloved. In the state of Florida, if they actually carried out their law, they'd kill you for that. And what did God in Christ do for the Apostle Paul? He forgave him. Beloved, people that don't know that they're forgiven sinners don't make good preachers. They don't make good gospel moms. They don't make good gospel dads. They don't make good gospel brothers or sisters. You don't make a good gospel witness if you don't know the gospel, which is Jesus saves sinners. So every time he's on trial, this is another person. Look at the fest. Felix keeps Paul in a cell or has some measure of freedom for two years. Here's a guy on his third marriage doing who knows whatever he's doing. He's, he murders Jonathan, the later future high priest. He's a murderer, fornicator, and adulterer. What would most of the church say to that guy right now? What would most say to that guy? You're going to hell. You're going to go to hell. We're not even going to tell you the gospel. What does Jesus do? Here's what I want for you, Paul. I'm going to put you with that guy for two years. And for two years, that guy's going to call you in. Now, the Bible never says he's converted. And I'm going to tell you something. Beloved, if you're raised in a Christian home and you get a regular diet of gospel, you come to a Bible-believing church, you get a regular diet of gospel and you're not converted, it will go to your detriment. But for two years, Jesus Christ sent the Apostle Paul to a filthy, filthy, filthy man. And he heard the gospel. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 24, he told them about Jesus. That's what's going on here. When he's on trial before Festus, he's going to tell Festus about Jesus. Why didn't he tell him about three, the, the, why didn't he tell him about the threefold office? That there are deacons, there are elders, and there are ministers. Why didn't he talk about congregationalism versus Presbyterianism or the hierarchical form of church government? I'm only being cute. Why didn't he enter into any of those fights, sacramental fights? What's the presence of Jesus in the sacrament? Why didn't he do that? He doesn't. He tells him about Christ. He tells him about the resurrection of Christ, the death of Christ. Why? Because, beloved, when you're in front of an unconverted sinner, don't talk to them about church government. Don't even talk to them about election. What, do I, what, what should you talk to them about? Someone say Jesus. 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 When you talk to a fornicator, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, a thief, and they don't know Christ, and you do. Oh, my wife's showing me to smile. Tell them about Christ. Tell them about Christ. God the Holy Spirit takes the Holy Gospel and he makes people alive. That's what he does. Christ sends the servant out to that kind of folk. I know we all want to go and when we were in Tallahassee, we were, people would come to the church and say, we're all going to start a homeschool commune up in, was it North Carolina or Virginia? And it was going to be perfect time. Don't believe it. 
don't believe it. If they're, if they're getting the land, you, you know they're mixing up the Kool-Aid. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, so, we, in Acts chapter 25, we have the Apostle Paul now is going to be on trial before Festus. As I say, the governor that takes over from Felix. And so the governor, Festus, who's the governor of Judea, and he stays at Caesarea, he goes down to uh, Jerusalem. And we find in our passage that he convenes, he meets with the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high priests and the leading Jews. This is the, the religious Jews. And they immediately ask him, as the new governor, about Paul. And what we're told is they want to, um, they want to come and they want, to, um, they want Festus to put uh, uh, Paul to death. It's been, Paul has been in prison for two years. And, and you, would think, you would think after two years, perhaps the Jews in Jerusalem would think, you know what, that, that Paul, he, he, remember, he was, he was one of them. He was a pest, but he's out of our hair now, and they would forget him. But that's not what we find. What do we find? We find the hatred of the Jews in Jerusalem against Christ's gospel servant doesn't go away with time. It does not go away with time. Beloved, we think sometimes that um, if you're older, let's say like an older person and you're an unbeliever, you just get softer with, with age as an unbeliever. You just get softer. I will tell you what I think I've learned a little bit. At, I'm 59. You can, I get, I'm weaker emotionally at 59 than I was at 39 or if, yeah, 49. You know, I'm weaker. Physically, I'm weaker. But spiritually speaking, time does nothing to the unregenerate heart you're not going to become softer by time. And what we find is they're two years older and their hatred for Christ remains. It doesn't go away. Time and space doesn't change the converted man. These Jews that started off hating Christ, they still hate Jesus Christ. Two years later. I'm going to read something to you. So 2,000 years from then, two years don't change their hatred against Christ and Christ's servant. What about now? So the word aretz means land. Ha-aretz in Hebrew means the land. So I'm going to read to you from an article, Ha-aretz, in Israel newspaper, in May 5, 2022. Here's the uh, title. Israeli minister threatens to shut down God TV channel preaching gospel of Jesus. I'm reading. Communications minister David uh, Am Salem threatens Tuesday to take the new Hebrew language evangelical channel off the air if it turned out to be proselytizing, giving the gospel of Jesus. It's the same, beloved. Two years don't take away the hatred of Jesus Christ. Two thousand years don't take away the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the only thing that can take an enemy of Christ to make him a lover of Christ? The only thing. Go ahead, say it. You must be what? Born again. You have to be born again. This is a John chapter 3, 1 through 9, Ezekiel 36. You must be born again. You have to have a new heart. You have to have your old heart taken out. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We have to have the gift of faith. So they still hate Christ. And what is it that natural man hates about Jesus so much in the gospel of Je Why do they hate the gospel so much? Gospel is, is summarized under the metonym or the metaphor of the cross. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, the cross. 
Why do unbelievers hate the cross so much? Because it shows them that they are sinful, that God is holy, and only the blood of the Lamb can take away the sin. That's what they don't like about it. Every, our brother introduced, talked about Arminianism this morning in Sunday school, and we talked about the Synod of Dort, and I brought in Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism and confused the daylights out of myself and everybody else. Beloved, everybody unregenerate wants to stick their finger on the, th- on the, on the, on the scale. Everybody. If you're not born again, you think before God that you're good, and God's going to look at your life and go, wow, you're so good. We're all Pharisees. The Pharisee can't stand the cross because it says you're damned by your good works. It's only by the blood and the good work of Jesus Christ. So you must be born again. And so we we find that Felix says to the guys, hey, if you want to try him, you come on up to Caesarea, where I have my throne, and you can try him. So we, we find that the religious Jews he, still are apostates, and we find something about political man. And I promise, well, I think I promise. Sometimes I have hobby horses. <laughs> political man is one of my hobby horses. But I promise to not ride this too much. With Festus, we're going to see a picture of unregenerate political man. Real Christians, we are always wanting to put our trust in politicians. Yes, Jesus, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Oh, Christ, oh, yes, oh, yes, heaven's my home. It's going to be awesome. Oh, I hope Trump gets in. <laughs> or whoever. Or I hope Hudson Fretz or Bobby Hudson Fretz gets in. We always hope for the guy to get in. Felix is a picture of unregenerate political man. Festus is a picture of unregenerate political man. Agrippa is a picture of unregenerate political man. And God the Holy Spirit is going to tell Christian man, Christian woman, do not put your trusted princes to do soul good to you. Because they're going to lie to your face. They're only doing what political men always do. Which is what? They sell the truth to the highest bidder. <laughs> he, he, Felix couldn't find anything to kill Paul with, so he kept him on, in jail for two years. Why? To do a favor to the Jews. Festus wants so bad to kill Paul to do a favor to the Jews. This is, a, this is, this is you, you know what a toady is? A toady? It's, it's a real word. A toady is a person who's in a superior position that takes the place, in a play-acting kind of a way, of the person in a subordinate position in order to garner advantage over the people under him. So you have the governor playing a toady to the Jewish folks saying, hey, you all want to come up to Caesarea? And he, you can, you can um, interview and accuse my prisoner, and if you find anything wrong with him, you can uh, persecute or prosecute him. That's a toady. Paul's not under their government. Paul's under his government. So we're seeing that the apostate church, they remain uh, hateful against the cross of Christ because it shows them for what they are, religious hypocrites, they're play actors, and they don't want the cross of Christ, they want their own righteousness. And they, we see with this particular fellow, he only wants power. That's all politicians ever want, power and what goes along with it, money and women, or at least it used to be money and women, and now it's money and who knows. But that's, that's this particular fellow. 
And then we find the Apostle Paul, like he did in the last trial, he's defending himself. Verse 6 and 7 and 8, Paul says, he says, I committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple of the Caesar. So Paul says, and we can, we can, we can glean their accusations against him by Paul's defense. Paul says, I've not sinned against the law of the Jews, and I've not sinned against the law of uh, Caesar. So he's saying, essentially, I am a good Jew, and I am a good Roman. Can you be a, a, a good, I love Jesus, go to heaven Christian, and a good American? Can you? Yeah, I, I think you can. Yeah. You should pray for President Biden. Um, what you pray is your business, but you should pray for him. You should submit yourself to the people that God has placed over you. Oh, look, and I'm going to lose everybody now, aren't I? This is a Romans 13, 1 through 10. I'm not saying you, you need to vote for him, but you do need to pray for him. And then you need to go to the, to, to the Lord's house every week because God tells you to. Or you need to pray and read your Bible and love people. Even people that are unlovely. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I am a good Jew. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not antithetical to the Bible. It is the stuff of the Bible. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. Every Sunday we said this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the what? Go ahead and finish it. Just John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It wasn't until I was 26 and found a Bible and started reading. I'm like, wow, that's John the Baptist pointing at Jesus. I thought it was just something the priest made up. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, what was John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and saying he's the Lamb? He's the Passover Lamb. He's the scapegoat. It's the fulfillment of the ceremonial system. There's Christ, the Savior. From Genesis to Malachi, Christ. So Paul says, I'm a good Jew. Believing in Christ is not antithetical to being a good Jew. And he says, and I'm a good Roman. I haven't broken any of Caesar's laws. This is what the Jews were trying to do to to Christ's servant. The Romans don't care anything about their theological, the Jews' theological fights. They don't care about the religious fights. They do care about civil fights. And so what the Jews were busy doing is what they did to Christ. They have a religious problem with Christ. They have a religious problem with Christ's servant, Paul. But they know the Romans don't care about that. So what do they do? What does natural man do? When you can't get your way by telling the truth, what does natural man do? They lie. This Jesus Christ says he's king over Caesar. This Jesus Christ is forbidding us Roman citizens from paying taxes to Caesar. That's a lie. You're never going to kill him when we just tell you we have a religious fight that he's not the Messiah. So what we're going to do is we're going to say that he's a political insurrectionist so you can kill him. That's what they're doing to Paul. Paul's a rabble rouser. Paul's causing a riot. And then later in the text, it says that Festus sees right through it. He knows it's just a fight about Jesus. These, they're really fighting about Jesus. Beloved, do you think sometimes an unregenerate unbeliever can look at professing Christians and go, wow, look at all the sin, I mean, and get it right? That's a Romans chapter 2. Pontius Pilate knew, Pontius Pilate's a pagan as opposed, he's a heathen. He knew the Jews wanted him to kill Jesus. Why? Because they were jealous. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. It is a shame when a professing non-Christian can look at a Christian and say, 
y'all are a bunch of liars. Y'all are fornicating. Y'all are doing X, Y, Z. Look. And they're right. Festus sees right through it. Paul says, I'm a good Jew and I'm a good Roman. Beloved, Paul, us, we can pray to Christ, but we can pray for the Caesar. They're not antithetical. In our own confession, I think it's chapter 21, maybe chapter 21. We should be the best citizens. We should be the best Christians. And what we're looking at, perhaps I'll end with this. When Paul says, I've done nothing wrong to Jew or to Gentile, it shows us the benefit of having a good conscience. A conscience is an indwelling arbiter that God has given to human beings, even with the fall, it's there, it's calloused and, and, and so on. But this is a Romans 1, Romans chapter 2. It's an indwelling arbiter of what is right and wrong. It's meant to be informed by the law of God. Paul is showing us, the, and he says this earlier, the benefit of a good conscience. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had a conscience that has convicted you? To have a guilty conscience. Have you ever had a guilty conscience? I have. Tons of times. Can Christians, real Christians, get guilty consciences? I think we should have a guilty conscience if we sin. What Paul does is, earlier he says, I do my very best to have a good conscience before God, and I do my very best to have a good conscience before man. He regularly is examining his life. Am I loving Christ? Am I loving people? Am I I loving the lost? Am I hating sin? And he shows us the benefit of a good conscience. And what's the benefit? Paul says, I'm ready to die for Christ. I'm ready to die for Christ. Uh, I will tell Felix that Jesus saves sinners. I'll tell Festus and Bernice, his sister, or Agrippa's sister, I'll tell them. And the whole time, being under the threat of death. Beloved, when we don't have a clean conscience as Christians, you know what happens? This happens. Some unbeliever will be around us, and they're living in a known sin. And we're a Christian, and we're living in a known sin. But we won't let go of it. You know what happens? Nothing. Nothing. We don't tell them about Jesus. Why? Because our conscience says, you're going to open your mouth for Jesus? You know what you've been watching all week? Really? You're going to do that? You're going to to tell them the wages of sin? You're going to tell them the ugliness of sin? You're going to to tell them the hope and and the glory of Jesus? Really? You're going to do that? And what are you going to say? No. No. The benefit of daily... we, We sin against Christ every day. The benefit of daily repenting. The benefit of daily communing with Jesus. Daily enjoying friendship with Him. Daily drawing near to Him. Is when Christ puts us in a scenario and says, I want you to open your mouth for Christ. You will. And then when he puts us in a place where potentially we could die for Christ, we die for Christ. As a love to him, as a witness to the church, and as an expression of love to the lost. We're willing to be hurt, to share the gospel, to sinners. Beloved, I was raised near the city, Boston. 
I'm not a farmer, I'm not a country boy, I love the country. I know this about being a farmer. You can't be a farmer if you're not willing to get dirty. You can't minister the gospel unless you're willing to get hurt. You just can't do it. Because part of the gospel, we, we come and say, God is opposed to sin. He hates sin, and you're talking to a sinner. And unless the Holy Spirit's working, it will excite them to hurt you. But because we love Christ so much, and because we love the lost so much, we're willing to suffer for Christ's sake. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.